morning, church. My name's Jean. I'm continuing on our Bible reading for today. So please join with me in opening your Bibles to read Genesis chapter 37, verses 19 to 36. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Galeed. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the midnight the merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognised it and said, It's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Medanites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Thank you, Jean, for reading so well, bringing this story to life. And thank you, Yuvi, for leading us in, in prayer. You really bring us to the throne room of Christ. Well, uh, we do come today with many mixed emotions, and some of us are mourning. It is good to see uh, you here today, James, and Barry, it is a real delight to see you here today. And what a wonderful service it was for Margaret on Friday to honour the life that God has given her and to, of course, honour her God as well, our Saviour. But it's really good to see you. Let us be our bro your brother and your sisters during this time. But let me also extend my uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you mums. Uh, let me say Mother's Day, far, far more stressful than Father's Day. This morning, boy, it was stressful. I prefer Father's Day. But anyway, that's just me. Uh, well, let's uh, pray once again and let's turn to this passage. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do come with weakness, with inadequacy, with our feebleness, 
and also our pains and sorrows. We pray, Lord, that your word and your spirit will give us comfort, will strengthen us, and will help us know of your grace and of your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the story of Joseph. We all know the story of Joseph. It's well-loved. It's a favorite of many. It's a story of dreams and deception, from slavery to freedom, rags to riches, famine to feast, betrayal and then forgiveness. I mean, this is a story where there's adventure, family intrigue, twists and turns, tears and laughter. It's a favourite of many. It's one of my favourites. It's an excellent bedtime story. It's been made into countless movies. DreamWorks has one, Joseph, the King of Dreams. And if you're old enough, if you lived during the 70s, you may remember Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Do you know that one? Yeah, the wonderful song, Any Dream Will Do. I won't sing it. I closed my eyes, drew back the curtain to see for certain what I thought I knew. You know that one? If you do, you're, you're old enough. If you don't, the show is coming to Melbourne this year. But you see, knowing and enjoying this story is one thing. But understanding why this particular story is in the Bible is another. And so why is it here? I mean, this story in Moses and his writing of Genesis, he dedicated more chapters out of the 50 chapters in Genesis. He dedicated more chapters to the story of Joseph than the forefathers. He spent more time talking about Joseph than Abraham or Isaac or even Jacob. And so why is it here? Why such prominence? We see what we see in the story of Joseph. We see something of humanity as a whole. And we also learn something of God. We see something of the wickedness and evilness of what has come of God's world. Adam and Eve, and then their children, the first hatred, the first murder, the first death. And then you see the flood, and then Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you see the failings of the forefathers themselves. Abraham, he failed. Isaac, too. And now we come to this dysfunctional family of Jacob. But throughout all of that, the weakness of this world, the brokenness and the messiness of life, God remains unwaveringly committed to his plan for the redemption of this world. But the question is, how will God do it? How will God manage redemption in such a messy world? And I suspect some of us may even be asking that same question today. How will God manage what is happening even in my own life? I mean, some of us, our lives might feel very messy at this moment. That's how we feel. We can't see the sky from the fog and it's just all blurry and that's how we feel at the moment. We have our dreams, we make our plans, but often we see and we have experience, they do not come to pass. I mean, just reflect only a few weeks back at my own life. I did not know a few weeks back that we would get COVID as a family. It wasn't too bad. We've recovered, thanks to God. Only two weeks back, I had no idea that this week would be the week it was, needing to conduct a funeral for one of our beloved members of this church. 
just the, the other week. I had no idea this week will mean also a hospital visit to visit one of the members in, in such a critical condition. We cannot tell the future. We have our plans, we have our dreams. We do not know what next week will bring. In fact, we don't even know what tomorrow will bring. And so if that is what our life feels like, often messy, we cannot see the sky from the fog, how will God make any sense of it? What will God do with such a life when all things seem so uncertain? Well, you see, the story of Joseph is a picture of that. God's promises is secured by God's providence. God makes a promise, like what we heard in the kids' talk, he will bring it to pass. God's promises is secured by his providence, and his providence is unstoppable. And so we have a look at this story. Well, the story begins with the family of Jacob living in the land of Canaan. This was the land God promised Abraham. This is the promised land. This is for you. And now they are living there. Jacob has got 12 sons from four different women. Now, what do you think that tells you? Well, you don't need a psychology degree to work this out. Four different wives, 12 sons, it is not going to work out. You can see trouble happening. But what makes it worse, look at verse 3 with me. Israel, that is Jacob, he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. You can understand why he would love Joseph. If you have a son in your 20s, you'll be happy, of course. Any son. In your 30s, you'll be very happy. In your 40s, you'll be very happy. In your 50s. Well, Jacob was perhaps about 91 years old when Joseph was born. Of course he'll be happy. I mean, I'm not 91, but if I was not... No, no don't even think about it. <laughs> don't think about it. Now, if you think Jacob learnt, learnt anything from his upbringing, favoritism is not a good thing within a family. I mean, he was mummy's boy. His brother Esau was daddy's boy, and it didn't go well within the family. It was a mess. But Jacob, not learning his lesson, he loved one of his wives more than the others. He loved Rachel above his other wives. And now, he, without any subtlety at all, loves Joseph above all the other brothers. Now, what are you to make of that? Well, smarter father might try to hide his favoritism a bit better. I remember a few years ago, two of my friends, good friends, after we had our three kids, they were still very young, they asked me quite seriously, so who is your favourite child? And what do I say as a father? Well, I said I love them all the same. I love them all equally. I mean, that's the right answer, and it is the true answer. But they kept on prodding, sure, rubbish. You love your sons more because they'll carry the family name. I said, no, that's not me. We love them all the same. That's the right answer. But Jacob here, he had a clear favorite, and he wasn't discreet about it at all. And perhaps reading this story, for some of us, that's a sore point in our own upbringing. That brings back memories and perhaps even scars. You know, Some of us are thinking, oh, I was never mummy's boy. That was the other one, and oh man, that was so unfair. My brother got all the new stuff, I got all the hand-me-downs. And it's perhaps more common than we like to believe, especially in some cultures. I mean, have you heard of families or parents who had daughters 
second daughter, third daughter, fourth daughter, but they don't stop. They kept on going until they get that son by the eighth or ninth or, you know, if God doesn't bless them, all daughters, then they, they cry. One in my growth group, in fact, this week said the brother was the obvious favorite. But why do you think Jacob was so explicit? I mean, we can be a bit simplistic here and say, well, he was a bad father. He just had mindless favoritism. But you see, in the ancient world, your pride and joy would often be your firstborn son. He would be the heir. He would be the sign of strength. And so you would expect maybe Reuben. He was the firstborn son. But if you had a son like Reuben, you would be heartbroken. Because you know the story of Reuben, what happened with him? Reuben, no idea what he was thinking, but he decided to sleep with one of his father's wives, with Bilhah. Not only a grievous sin, but what he was doing was prematurely assuming or claiming the rights of the firstborn. And you see that in the story of David and Absalom, remember that? Absalom sleeping with David's concubine. And so Reuben, the firstborn, disqualified. No more. The favour is not upon him. No longer the heir. And it's interesting to note as we study this series over the next few weeks, it's interesting to note how Reuben tries hopelessly to redeem himself. You see him trying to be the spokesperson, but he can't get it right. He fails every single time. And so son number one, rubbish, a total disappointment. What about sons number two and three? Well, they were Simeon and Levi. We read of that in Genesis 34. Well, they too were a total disaster. You see, when their sister was wronged by a man by the name of Shechem, Simeon and Levi thought, we cannot let this go. They defiled our sister. And so they made a deal with Shechem and his father's clan and said, okay, we'll give you our sister if all the men of this town get circumcised. Now, what's shocking about the story was that they did. They went ahead. All the men of the town, they went ahead and got circumcised. Three days later, the two brothers, Simeon and Levi, they took the sword to the town and killed all the men while they were still in pain. Now, that tells you, obviously, it takes more than three days to heal, to recover. But we see there the brutality of these two sons, the ruthlessness that they would do such a thing. And Jacob was not happy at all. He said, you've made me a stench amongst these people. I cannot be trusted anymore. And so sons number two and three, gone. The favor's not upon them anymore. What about son number four, Judah? Well, Judah too, a total disaster. Sexually promiscuous. We'll come to study this next week when Ollie preaches on this. And so you think about this family. As father of this family, your son's living such a way, doing such horrible things. What a total mess. What a heartbreak it would have been. And then the other brothers, well, they were no better. And we get a little clue in this chapter. Look at verse 2. Joseph, a young man, man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. And then later on we read, And he brought their father a bad report about them. Presumably, all the brothers were up to no good as well. This was a messed up family. 
If you were the father of this family, you'll be heartbroken and so disappointed. Now, we might think reading that, you know, this Joseph, he's a snitch here amongst the brothers. He's the dibber dobber. We Aussies, we don't like dobbers. You know, the, the boy in the playground who always runs off to the teachers, oh, he hurt me. And you don't like those type of boys. You don't like the dibber dobber. You don't like the teacher's pet. Every minor incident, he's running to his dad and saying, my brothers tease me. My brothers, they hit me. Well, you see, we're not given much commentary. In fact, we're not given any commentary on what type of report it was. But given the wickedness of the brothers, of what we have already seen from the others, it may simply be a truthful report. And he couldn't hide or turn a blind eye to their evil. He was different to his brothers. And so if you're the father of this family... You see your sons like this, how you have raised them. You'll be devastated, disappointed, one by one. Terrible son, terrible son, terrible son. And then comes along Joseph, who was different. And so rather than thinking of Jacob showing just simple favoritism, perhaps he was seeing in this son, not yet tainted by the other brothers, perhaps he was hoping maybe Joseph would be the hope of this family. Maybe through Joseph, God was not yet done with this family. Maybe because of Joseph, God will maintain his covenant promises to this family and that promise to be kept alive. And so though there may be a lack of wisdom for how he expressed his favour, at least we can understand why Joseph. And he did so in an explicit way now. We read verse 3. He made a richly ornamented robe for him. Now that can mean, just like the musical, a multicoloured robe. Or it might mean just a robe with long sleeves. We can't be so certain. But what we can be certain of was that he had the favour of the father. None of the other sons. He had the favour. It was like Jacob bestowing upon him. You are the crown prince. This robe represents royalty. You are the one who will be heir. And the father made sure everyone knew it. Now, if you're one of the other brothers, how do you expect them to respond? Well, we're told, verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. I mean, this is not mere sibling rivalry. This is bitterness. This is hatred. This is intense hatred and jealousy. Each time they see Joseph strut along with the rope, you just must, must be thinking these brothers, their blood must be boiling. And then next we read, Joseph and his dreams. Two dreams, rather fascinating dreams. I mean, we all have dreams all the time. We don't make much of it. I've had some really weird, bizarre dreams, and I'm sure you have had too. In my dreams, I've flown, I've fought dragons, I've been a hero, I've had dreams about exams, and they were the, the horror dreams. They were the scary ones, the exams. I remember even waking up one morning, and Yvonne waking up, and she was angry with me. I did nothing, I just woke up. It was all in her dream, and I copped it anyway. 
But Joseph, here he shares his first dream with his brothers. Verse 7. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And how do you expect the brothers to react? Well, they were furious. They hated him more and more. Do you think you, you know, number 11 out of all of us, will become ruler over us? Not at all. In your dreams. But then Joseph, he does it again. Now, we may say that he was a bit foolish to share it a second time. And he shared it with his father as well. They hated him already, so maybe he wasn't so wise here. But Joseph, he said, hold on a minute. Let me share with you another dream. Verse 9. This time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, what are we to make of this? Well, again, we're not given commentary on why Joseph shared his dreams. We can imply here that he was a bit boastful. He was provoking his brothers. It could have been that. We're not told. It could have been something else. Or he could have just thought, this can't be any ordinary dream. I have to share this. I have to share this. Perhaps this is one dream that has come from God. Because if you think about it, if it wasn't special, the brothers' reactions would have been very strange. I mean, how did the brothers respond? They were jealous of his dreams, which at least hints that they thought his dreams meant something. Because, like, if I were to share with you, in my dream, I dreamt that I was Superman. And then you share your dream, and in your dreams, you're just an accountant. Nothing wrong with being an accountant. And you get angry with me. You get jealous of my dreams. That's strange, isn't it? That would be weird. Who cares? It's just a dream. But the brothers were jealous of him. Why? Why would they be jealous of Joseph's dreams? They had their own. Why? Well, perhaps they too knew that this was no ordinary dream. Not only did Joseph... Have his father's favour. Perhaps what was burning up inside was the thought that perhaps Joseph also had God's favour. And also Jacob's reaction here is interesting. After rebuking Jacob, you know, verse 11, the, the father then kept the matter in mind. Maybe God is saying something to our messed up family through this dream of Joseph. Maybe through this son, God will do something to show that he is keeping his promises. Maybe the hopes of this family will fall on this son. And you know what he did? He treasured it up in his heart. That should remind us a bit of, of what Mary did with Joseph. I mean, with Jesus. She pondered them upon her heart. But of course we know that this dream, for us who have read the story, we know that this dream was given by God. And it was God showing this family through these dreams, this was God's game plan. This is what God will do with this family, through this family, and for this family, in fact for the world. The one who is despised will one day become their ruler. But of course we're left asking, this is such a messed up family. How would that dream come to pass? Because now we see how God's plans were in a sense thwarted by the brothers. What did they do? 
Well, we see their depravity and deception. Joseph, he's sent by his father on this long, hazardous journey. And it was a long journey. We, we can't tell just like that, but from where they were to Shechem, about 78 kilometers. Walking, that's three to four days. And remember, Joseph was only 17 years old. He's a teenager. It makes you wonder whether Jacob had it all together as a father to send his 17-year-old teenage boy on a three-, four-day trek to find his other brothers. It makes you wonder whether he was oblivious to how the other brothers hated this Joseph. And so you can just imagine Joseph thinking to his father, surely not, not me. Send one of the other servants. You know how much my brothers hate me. They're not going to treat me well. But instead, what did Joseph say? Well, in absolute obedience, he said, very well, I'll go. Perhaps another insight into his character. And eventually, on this long, treacherous journey, he finds them. But what's fascinating on this journey, do you notice there? He met this unnamed man who helped lead him to his brothers. This unnamed man led him to his demise. We're not told much about this unnamed man, but you have to wonder there whether God had any part in that. And then when the brothers saw him approaching, verse 18 now, they plotted to kill him. Now we have to feel the weight and the horror and the outright wickedness of that. The brothers would even contemplate doing such a thing to their younger brother. It's not like brothers, hey, let's, let's do a prank on him. Let's just tease him a bit, push him around a bit, make him cry, let him see who's really in charge. Maybe even punch him around a bit, let him bleed. But they wanted to finish him off. I mean, can you imagine how much you have to hate someone to want that person dead? Let alone your very own flesh and blood, your own brother. I mean, he's prancing around in a robe. We're going to make him stop now. I mean, that says how dysfunctional this family was. In fact, that's quite an understatement. And so when Joseph arrived, verses 23 and 24, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in the cistern. Now notice what the brothers did. Reuben, the oldest, the one who was meant to be heir, the one who was meant to be favoured, he had his own plan. Reuben hoped to rescue him and take him back to his father. Now why? Why? Well, you see, that was Reuben's first attempt, in fact, the first attempt that we know of, to come back into favor with his father after what he did. And then we read of the other brother. It was Judah's plan that prevailed in the end, verses 26 and 27. What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And so they sold their brother for 20 shekels of silver. That should sort of ring something in our, in our brains. 20 shekels of silver. Again, we must feel the horror of what they did. Ten older brothers who were meant to love their younger brother. He was just a teenager, but utter wickedness and evil. Now, we don't hear anything here about how Joseph responded. 
We don't hear anything here about what was on Joseph's mind as his brothers threw him in the cistern and ripped his robe off him. But you can only imagine his heartbreak to be treated in such a brutal, gruesome way by his brothers. It's not, only, it's not until chapter 42, in fact, that we get a glimpse in what was going on in his mind. When his brother said, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. How cruel and callous the brothers were to ignore the cry of their little brother. And so in an attempt to cover up this story, the brothers thought to each other, well, let's make sure our stories all align and there are no cracks. Let's make sure it's all the same. So they took his robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped it in its blood and showed it to their father. Some ferocious animal got to him and devoured him. And so the brothers here deceived their father with the blood of a goat. If you think about that, it's quite ironic. Because what did Jacob do to his own father? Also deceived his own father with the skin of a goat, but now his sons deceive him with the blood of a goat. And so we, here we see the brothers' depravity and deception. That's the story so far in the story of Joseph. But again, the question, why this story in Genesis? You see, what we're meant to learn from this story is that it is a picture of what the world is still like today. This family is a picture of what the world is still like today. There is something we learn about the world but there's also something we learn about God who remains sovereign, who works behind the scenes. We might have our dreams, but God will have his plans. And if anything, firstly, we're meant to be shocked by the depravity of sin. Remember, we're talking about the same family unit. The stuff that went on with the brothers, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, incest and all of that, it will make shows like the bold and the beautiful look very tame. Not that I've seen any of that, but this is the stuff that is craziness. What happened within this family? And it was meant to be, and it is, it was a family of God. There was so much hatred and jealousy within this family that just tore the family apart. We see the ugliness of sin. But what's shocking is that we still see it today. We still see the sin of that family today. Within the families today and within the world family today, families torn apart because of jealousy, because of hatred, because of envy between one another. I mean, to be jealous is a bit like wanting poison for the one you're jealous of, but drinking the poison yourself, and it's eating you inside. I mean, I've heard of sisters who would not speak to each other for decades because of something like this. Oh, I was in the right, I'll, who cares? Can it be justified? But here to even want your brother dead. Maybe we expect that from the animal kingdom, but amongst people. But you see, what we see here is a picture of the world, a microcosm of what we see in the world today. The types of evil one human being would do to another. Envy, jealousy, intense anger and hatred, that still wreaks havoc around this world. Families still torn apart by what is so sinful and wrong. People still killing each other. We're meant to 
feel the weight of the depravity of sin. But by the end of this chapter, we're meant to also be left thinking, well, what's God's plan? What can God do with all this mess, with the mess of this family? How can God fix it? I mean, this is the type of family you want to stay away from. I mean, do you hear down the street there was that family, 10 older brothers who, want to, who ganged up together against the younger brother, and I heard they even wanted him dead. If you heard of a family like that down the road, you want to stay away from that family. Will God stay away from this family? Well, you see, no. Though God's not mentioned in any way in this chapter, God was working behind the scenes, steering the course of events to bring about his plans and his purposes. In the providence of God, God has not given up on this family yet. In fact, God will use this family, as messed up as they were, to bring salvation to the world. And perhaps that's a helpful point for us to reflect on. As we reflect on our own lives and your own lives, I suspect some of us, we live very messy lives. We can't see the days ahead. It's all foggy. We cannot see the sky. And we might feel a bit like Joseph. We just don't know what God is doing. How can God fix the mess I'm in? But God remains sovereign. God works behind the scene. God will bring about his good purposes, even in our lives. That's not to say that we'll be like Joseph ruling one day. But it is to at least say, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I do not know next week what that will bring. I do not know what will happen in a year's time, two years' time, five years, ten years' time. But what I do know is that I'll always remain within the will of God. And do you know what that will is? Do you know what the will of God is? Well, you see, this is the picture of the gospel now. Just as Jacob had a loved and favoured son who was despised by his brothers, his brothers who said, do you think you'll rule over us? He was hated with such intensity, handed over to the Gentiles, wanted dead. So also, God has a loved and favoured son sent into the family of humanity, hated by the brotherhood of humanity with such intense anger. And they said to the Son of God, Do you think you'll rule over us? You king of the Jews? You think you'll rule me? He was handed over to the Gentiles, betrayed with silver. But only, not only did they want him dead, they crucified him. He wasn't given an ornamented robe. He was given a crown of thorns. He wasn't merely stripped of his robe. He was stripped naked. And his death was not pretend with the blood of goat. His death was for real, with his own blood. You see, just like in this story, it is why it is here. God is teaching us that there is one who is ultimately despised above all else, and that's his own loved and favoured son, but the one God has chosen to be the saviour of the world. And so today, our responses 
to God's favoured son can be like the brother's response to Joseph. The wickedness of the brothers against the love and favoured son, we see that on a world scale. God has said, this is my beloved son. And what does the world say? He will be no king over me. Do not mention Jesus. He is not welcomed here. That is to be just like the brothers. But yet the love and favoured son of God is the one who was given not merely the dreams of Joseph, but given the rule of the entire universe. And so we're meant to see here a story of what God is doing on a world scale. And unlike Jacob, God shows no favoritism. It's a different family God has established. You see, God extends his favor not only to his one and beloved son, but to all those who trust in Jesus. Because what happens to all those who trust in Jesus? They are adopted into the family of God as brothers and sisters of the older brother, Jesus Christ. And they are loved the same as the older brother, Jesus Christ. You see, for those of us who trust in Jesus, we're brought and swept into the family of God, and we are loved no less than Jesus, no favoritism. How do we know that? Well, God, the Father, sacrificed his son for us. You know, when I learnt of that wonderful glory of adoption and the gospel, it just blew my mind. I'll finish with this, and this was one of those books I read by Packer, Knowing God, that steered me towards living the life we're living now. How can I not live for my Father in heaven who has brought me into his family? Packer said this, God receives us as sons and loves us with the same steadfast affection with which he eternally loves his beloved only begotten. There are no distinctions of affection in the divine family. We are all loved just as fully as Jesus is loved. And so in the first chapter of Joseph, we move from the story of this messed up family to another family, to the family of God, where God's favor extends even to us because of the one and favored son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your awesome and wonderful and glorious grace, because of Jesus Christ, you will bring us into your family where there is no favoritism, where we are loved and protected and cherished by our older brother, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Help us, Lord, to respond rightly to him and not like the brothers of Joseph who would despise him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.